Hello and welcome to the new Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today we have evangelist Don Sadler with us. He will be delivering his message entitled, Be Brave, Be Strong. I have a treat for you today. Uh, one of my very close and closest and dearest friends I asked, many of you know I went uh, to New York last week um, to visit my dad and, and he was in and out of the hospital and they're going through some changes selling the home that they've been in 48 years and so uh, I wanted to go home and spend some time and so I knew it would be tight to prepare a message. I have, uh, we've been going through that sermon series, the Power Of series that I'm really excited about. Uh, but I knew it would be tight to, to present that. So I called a friend of mine. He's a pastor. He's an evangelist. Uh, uh, we, we know him well for many years from Lancaster. And I've asked him to, to come and share today. And so uh, I want to just, uh, again, just uh, ask him to stay sensitive to the Spirit, however the Spirit leads him at the end, whether it's altar call or just prayer or response. Uh, we don't want to be too concerned with time when the Holy Spirit's moving. Amen. Uh, but at the same time, we want to be sensitive uh, to, to what he has for us and what the Holy Spirit has for us. So I'm going to ask Don. Don Sadler is here, and I'm going to ask you to come, and then you can introduce your, your wife as well. But come All on, right. Don, and bless us. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Yes. Well, yeah, as Pastor James said, we've known them for a while now, and we've certainly enjoyed working together in Lancaster, and then we've continued our fellowship for years, and uh, it's just a privilege to be here, and I'm glad to be with you. And it's interesting that you said about you weren't going to do the last verse about the army, and in my head was rolling, army of the Lord, army of the Lord. And it's almost as if in the worship today, you could almost hear the Lion of Judah roar, Amen. It was almost like a, I don't know how, if you, any of you heard it, but it was almost like a battle cry today. And, uh, and so I've been struggling with what the God would have to say this morning and always looking for confirmation. So I had some confirmation earlier and I thank you and I thank you for being so uh, engaging and obedient to the spirit of the Lord because uh, I, I just thank you for that confirmation as we're here today. Joanna, stand up, baby. <laughs> This is my wife, Joanna, and uh, we've been married for over 20 years, and um, well, we're just coming up to 20 years, and, uh, and I'm just going to say this from the outset. I'm a country boy from Somerset County, so, you know, very rural area, know all about the farming stuff and living off the land, and she was born and raised in South Philadelphia, so go figure. So we lived in Philadelphia for years, and so, you know, it's funny, you, you get into a certain area and you sort of adopt some of the ways. So um, if I get a little bit Philly in the middle of whatever we're saying here, you'll understand that. So, uh, but praise God, it, it's just good to be with you today. And just as Pastor James was saying that, you know, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is up against so much right now. We're up against it in the church realm. We're up against it in the world realm. We're up against it in the political realm. We're up against it in the global realm. But what did Jesus say? Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall 
not prevail against it, but we are up against it, folks. And I just so appreciate what's even happened here this morning because I see, I, I really sense your heart and I, and I sense your devotion to God. And this is what God is looking for, and I so agree with what you said. You know, it's got to be us. It's got to be us. Somebody's got to stem the tide of the evil that is trying to envelop even the people of God. And, uh, and you know, in 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the fact that lawlessness is on the loose and that lawlessness is going to abound. But there's a restrainer in the middle of that. And you know who the restrainer is? It is the Holy Spirit. Because when we look at the epoch of time, we, we look at the Old Testament and we understand that God was on the earth uh, sitting behind the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies and there God dwelt in the midst of his people. God on the earth was his, with his people. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God dwelt on the earth with his people. And in these last and evil days, what we now call the age of grace, God is on the earth, and he is dwelling where? In you. Hallelujah. And so what the Bible lets us know that if there's going to be a restraint against the tide of evil that is coming toward the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be coming from the people of God. Amen. Because the Bible says once the restrainer is removed, uh, then lawlessness is going to have a heyday. But by the simple fact that you and I are on the face of the earth, uh, walking in the power of the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, baptized with fire from on high, the very simple fact that that is who we are, there is a restraint of evil. Captured that. How many of you want to see more restraint? Amen? We want to stab the tide. And so God has a message for us this morning. Probably not the easiest one I've ever done, but we want to hear what the Holy Ghost has to say. Amen? Amen. Moses, as you know, in the Old Testament, when it was time to call the children of Israel out as the special people of God, he took him to the mountaintop, and began to divulge the secret of the ages to Moses. And one of the things God did was gave him the Ten Commandments whereby his holy nation would live. And after God gave the Ten Commandments, then he gave Moses the directive to prepare a tabernacle where God himself could dwell with his people. And we know that was in the Holy of Holies, above the mercy seat. And the first article that he commanded Moses to make was the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Because that was going to be the place where God was going to dwell in the midst of his people. And he said to Moses, there I will meet with you and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat. And so the first article of furniture that God told Moses to make was a representation of the very presence of God. Amen. We are now he, those who carry the presence of God. We're going to look at a journey of the Ark of the Covenant and how does that apply today and what can we learn from a journey in the, of the Ark of the Covenant. So we're going to find ourselves to begin in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 4. 1 Samuel chapter 4.
And if you have your Bibles, we'll just move around a little bit today. Now, I want to set up the scenario for you. Yes, there are priests that are active. Yes, he has his helpers, and they are active. And yes, the people are worshiping Jehovah. But Eli is the priest of the hour. And you know the story. He has two sons, and their names are Hopni and Phineas. And what they would do is when the people of God would come to make their sacrifices unto the Lord, the priests would stand there and they would begin then to make demands on the people. One of the things that Hopni and Phineas did is that they would uh, ask the people, I want your raw meat. Give me the best cut of meat that you have with you. And the people would, I'm sure, shrink back with horror and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The word declares that we need to lay our sacrifice upon the altar and have it consumed by fire. And especially that the first part, the fat, would burn because that is God's part. And we want to honor God in the way that he would have us to do that. But Hophni and Phinehas, who were the sons of Eli, they would say, no, 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 give us your raw meat because if you don't, we'll take it by force. And so what they were doing is they were making the people circumvent the offering that God was requiring and, take, and making them and polluting that, and the people had no recourse. The Bible lets us know that the second thing they were doing is that they were fornicating with the women that, who were coming to the tabernacle to serve the Lord. And so it's interesting that on these high and holy days, here are these two wicked sons who are circumventing the ordinance of God and then deliberately and unabashedly uh, doing that which was against the law. And so it is in this framework that we see what's going on even as the people are attempting to worship God. And it's trickling from the, the top down. If you would, keep your finger where you are in uh, 1 Samuel, but let us look at the prophet Ezekiel for one moment. Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. Now, I feel like I have to make a disclaimer by going here. Because what we're going to read, uh, you'll see in a minute. But I, I need to make a disclaimer at this point, because one thing I know is that Pastor James is a man after God's own heart. One thing I know about Pastor James and First Lady Julie is that their heart's desire would that, is that you would have the best from them and the best from God. And I know that their, their walk with God is to honor him and to see that honor amongst his people. And so I need to, to put that out there. And you know, even the Bible says that a man who labors in prayer and in the word is worthy of double honor. And so I present to you today, I say to you today that your pastor and his wife are worthy of double honor because I know that he labors before the Lord to get a word from God. And I know he labors uh, in front of God to stay intimate with him and to keep his life clean. And so I needed to put that out there because um, we're talking about other people. So, <laughs> so in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 25, the Lord is talking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he says, the conspiracy of her prophets is in her midst. 
and it is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things and have not distinguished between the holy and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. And so here is God. He has angst against his church, basically. And he's saying that the prophets are lying, and the prophets are causing people to stumble, and saying that the pastors are preaching things, and they're mixing up the sacred and the profane, and they're not even teaching the people the difference between the two. And so, does that sound familiar? How many churches do we know that are, have taken church surveys, and they go to the community and they say, well, what would you like to see in a church? And then for some reason, which I don't understand, then suddenly the church takes a turn, and they begin to adopt secular ways to try to weave the gospel into secular ways of doing things. How many of you have seen that and witnessed that? It's happening in the church of God. And we need a wake-up call, just like we've had here this morning. And so what we need to know, though, is that anything that leads to compromise will then compromise the gospel. How many of you believe that? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because it is the power of God so that people get saved and lifted out of the cesspool and on with their lives. And so in our churches, many of our churches today, there's a lot of grace and peace and love being expounded from the pulpit at the expense of repentance and holiness. I know that's an old-fashioned word, but we're going to put it out there today. You know, Charlie Kirk, I think, said it best. He said, you know, in some churches you go, it's reduced to a, um, a pep talk and a rock concert. And we've been there. My wife went one time to a, a large church where we are, and uh, when she went in, uh, it was for the taste of home. Maybe you, some of you know that magazine that has uh, recipes in, and uh, that's what they, the, this church was hosting, that particular thing. And as the ladies are waiting in line, and Donna, were you with them? No, no. okay, I thought maybe you were. Uh, as they're waiting in line, the Rolling Stones are on the loudspeaker, and they're singing the symphony for the devil in the midst of church. And so, the God, and so Joanne said, oh my goodness, they're playing the symphony of the devil by the Rolling Stones. And this kid beside her or wherever he was, close to her said, isn't that cool? You don't even know you're in a church. Compromise. Mixing the sacred and the profane to the point where the gospel gets lost. Here's the bottom line, folks. The kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light cannot borrow from each other to get the work done. How many of you believe that? They, we can't borrow from the world. We've got to stand flat-footed on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Because the kingdom of light is the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness is the kingdom of darkness. It's either Babylon or it's the kingdom of God. It's either the Antichrist, or it's Christ. It's either Jezebel, or it's Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
And you can't mix that stuff up. There's no middle ground here. Almighty God. But we do not need anything, and I know you agree with me, we do not need anything but the Lord God high and lifted up so that his train would fill the temple. Amen? And truly I believe that the glory of the Lord and his train filled this temple today. Why? Because he was reverenced. He was reverenced. We still are holding on to what is sacred. And so, if anything, and this is my personal opinion, but I believe it's the truth, if anything that has come out of COVID-19 and the political upheaval that we've been witnessing and all of that, it's this. Now, first of all, the prosperity gospel was exposed exactly for what it is. Secondly, false prophets are actually getting weeded out of the church of the living God. And uh, big name, and this tears my heart, big-named people are being exposed. And I don't have to name any names, but one of the greatest guys that I thought was one of our best apologists, and I don't have to put a name out there, but my, my heart was tore apart when things were exposed. There are, I don't know if you keep up with this kind of thing, but there are authors of Christian books that have been read by thousands of Christians who now have came out publicly and said they're done with Christianity, they're over Christianity, they'll never walk into uh, a church again, and now they declare that they are atheists. Books that maybe you've read. And it's a sad day when we hear that about the church of the living God. So we are all aware now of the mixing up of the doctrine of churches. Gay marriage, same-sex marriage, so on and so forth. And this is what we find in the day of Eli, even as the ark of God was present uh, with them. Now let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and let's take a little journey with the ark of God. So under these circumstances, and the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, 1 Samuel 4.1, Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel, and when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. So under these circumstances, Israel comes into a conflict with the Philistines. We are in conflict with the Philistines. Amen. The land of the Goliaths. Now look what they do in verse 3. After they are defeated, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And so in verse 3 it says, And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. And I don't know what your version of the Bible says. I'm coming from the New King James. And when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. What an interesting piece of scripture. So when they lose the battle because of the mixing up of the sacred and the profane that's going on in the community of God, 
they said, let's get the ark of God and let's bring it right into battle. They, and they said, let's take that upon ourselves and let's use that as a way to win this battle. But what's striking to me is they said that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of the enemy. How about calling upon the God behind the representation of the Ark of the Covenant? Amen? The very presence of God. And so here they are depending upon the Ark rather than the God of the Ark. And how does this happen? It happens because irreverence has crept into the camp. They have lost their concept of the majesty and the holiness of God who was to be positioned above the mercy seat. Presumption, and they took it upon themselves to think, we got this. If we just take the ark of God with us, everything's going to be okay. And I got to say, you know, sometimes, and we're all guilty of this, I know I am at times, where we seek God for his hands and not his face. Amen? A lot of times we're going to God for what we can get and forgetting to reverence that it is he from whom all blessings flow. You know, I call that the blessing crowd. You know, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. And yet Jehovah says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Every once in a while we need to bless him. Amen? How many of you know that one of our purposes on the face of this earth is not only to minister to people, but to minister to God himself? Amen. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of kings. And one of our jobs is to always focus and minister to he from whom our power comes. The king of kings and the lord of lords. Now let's look at verse 5. So they bring the ark into the camp. And so the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the Ark of the Covenant. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Well, that sounds, like t that sounds to me like a good Pentecostal meeting. When the earth is shaking and things are moving and God's on, on point. But what happened after that? And now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the sound of the great shout of the Hebrews mean? And so we, end, we know that the end of this story is that, once again, Israel is defeated. What's the lesson here? What's being said? Now, now, I need to say this. I love when the presence of God hits. You can ask Jojo, you can ask Pastor. When the Spirit of God gets a hold of me, sometimes I'll take off running. Just going, you know, because that's just how good God is. And I love a good Pentecostal service where the manifestations, just like we saw here today, come about. But how many of you know sometimes God does great work in the silence? does great work in this science. All you got to do is look at the cross. We just celebrated Easter. If you look at the cross, those last three hours on the cross were pretty silent until Jesus said it is finished. In that eerie silence, God was undoing wickedness. And then in the silence of the three days that followed, what was God doing? Taking power over death, 
hell, and the grave. And then last Sunday, we all celebrated the fact that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords emerged from the tomb. And today, we stand in victory because He is Lord. Amen. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They'll do it in the heavens, they'll do it on the earth, and they'll do it under the earth. Yes, sir, one day the demons will say, Jesus is Lord. You know, the word even says that the, the demons believe and they tremble. Why? Because they know who God is. They understand his power. And so, what's interesting is that what the uh, enemy understood, look at verse 6. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp, and they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And so here's the enemy recognizing that Jehovah is on the scene. The people of God aren't so sure, but the enemy's sure. They're like, watch out, this is the God that delivered the Hebrew people. So they recognized that he was there. And so look what they say in verse 9. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. In essence, what they were saying was, man up, let's fight this battle. And this is the enemy talking. And in essence, what they were saying is, we do not want to be subdued by truth. We want to subdue the truth so that the people of God will bow to us. And I'm going to tell you there is a spirit at work in the land, and I don't have to tell you this, that wants to subdue the truth so that the people of God will bow to them. But how many of you know that Jesus said that the spirit, the Holy Spirit that he gives us is the spirit of truth? Amen? And they'll never do it, will they? Why? Because the Holy Spirit will always give us the truth of God. So it is the goal of progressive thought. And progressive thought is trying now to take a hold of our children's minds. Progressive thought now is trying to change all of, of what we've believed for so many years. And I have a news flash. And this is science. XX equals a girl, and XY equals a boy. It's that simple. There's science. And there's so much chaos in this progressive movement that they're trying to tell us we don't know what we're talking about because they've changed all the standards over here. How many of you know that the Holy Ghost within us is a standard bearer? Yes. Amen? Yes. When the enemy comes in like a flood, that's exactly when the Spirit of God lifts up his standards and says, nuh-uh, not here. And just like Pastor James says, we're that vessel. Nuh-uh, not here. Not with me and my family. You know, here they are, the enemy saying, man up, let's fight. You know, we have a mandate from God. 
Man up, let's fight. How many of you are ready? Amen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. 16. 13. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Be brave, be strong, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong, amen. Romans 11, 8, 11 declares that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We house the spirit of truth. Amen. We have the standard that this world needs. Amen. And we need to stand flat-footed against all the wiles of the devil. What does the Bible say? Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works where? In us. Amen. We share the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to fight. Declare his truth. Restrain. Stem the tide of, tide of evil. Back to 1 Samuel 4. So Israel is defeated once again. That which was supposed to save them is now gone because what happened? They came and they took the ark. The Philistines actually took the ark of the covenant of the Most High God and took it into their pagan temple and set it in there. And I don't have time to go into everything that happened there. So Israel is defeated. And so rather than the Philistines fearing the people of God, Who's afraid? The people of God have a fear of the Philistines. That's why I appreciate the intercessor who was declaring that uh, we have no fear in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. That we can stand brave and bold. And now is the time. And so what happens when all this goes down? The wicked sons die. Eli dies. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty in battle. Hophni is out of the way. Phineas is out of the way. Eli is out of the way. All that mixing of the sacred and the profane is out of the way. And how, about, how many of you know that when stuff like that dies, God can get something done? Amen. So the ark is in the camp of the Philistines for seven months. That did not go well for them. And you can read the next chapter and see what all happened there. And so eventually the ark comes back to the land of Israel. And, you know, the Philistines are trying to appease the God Jehovah, thinking that he's one of many gods because he sent them rats and he sent them tumors. So they dared to put gold replicas of the tumors that they had on their body. 
and gold rats that they saw running around, and they dared to put that into the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so when it reaches the land of Israel, the, the men came out of Beth Shemesh, and they lifted off the Ark covering and looked in, and God that day struck those men who looked in. Why? Because they acted in irreverence. Because according to Numbers 4.20, the command was, shall not go in to see the holy objects even for a moment lest they die. How many of you know that God doesn't go back on his word? How many of you know that the word of God never changes? If God says it, he means it. Amen? You can't pick and choose what you're going to want from what God says. It's all or nothing with God. Amen? I don't see a middle fence anywhere. And so the ark ends up into the um, house of Abinadab. Let's look, go fast forward to chapter 7. And then the men of Kirath, Jeram, came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirath, Yerim for a long time. It was there 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and served the Lord. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mitzpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. And so they gathered together at Mitzpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. And what happens after that is that they get another skirmish between the children of Israel and the Philistines. And guess who wins this time? The people of God. What was different about this time? What was different? Verse 3, number 1. If you return to the Lord with all your heart, and then if you put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only, he will deliver you. And then the Bible goes on to say that they fasted and they made offering unto the Lord. What does Hebrews tell us? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Two things. Let us lay aside the weights. What's weighing you down? What has you weighed down this morning that's hindering you from seeing the full glory of God? And it's interesting, and it said the weights and the sin. It doesn't say sins, the sin. What is it that would hinder you from the fullness of God in your life? He will deliver. So they follow through. They get rid of the idols. They fast. They repent. And God moves in a mighty way. My final thought this morning is that I believe there's a call to the church as a whole to come up to Mount Moriah. And I say, well, why, why do you say... Why would God call us to Mount Moriah? 
You remember that's the place where Abraham was told to sacrifice his only son. And they went up. <clears throat> if you remember the story, Isaac carried his own wood on his back, the wood that was going to be uh, part of the fire on the altar that day. Abraham had in his hands a torch with fire and a knife. Now, Isaac was probably somewhere between 18 to 25. So when you find Isaac laying on the altar, it wasn't by force. This is something that he willingly would have done. Wood, fire, knife, and an altar. You know, we talk about end-time revival. We all want to see a great move of God. But I believe that these are the components to the power of God revisiting us and coming in the way that we have a desire for. The wood, the fire, the knife, and the altar. What are you talking about? What did Jesus say? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we see the wood, as Jesus said, taking up your cross daily to follow him. Sometimes, how many of you know that you have to deny yourself some stuff in order to stay in the flow of God? We can't look at everything we want to look at, right? We can't read everything we want to read to stay in the flow of God. And so there's the wood where we deny ourselves. And then there's the knife. Colossians tells us to mortify the deeds of the flesh. Why? So that the spirit can flourish in our lives. And then there's the fire. So that the fire of God, once we deny ourselves, take up our cross as we follow Jesus, mortify the flesh, and then there is the fire of God that can swoop in and make of us a fire-filled saint that can restrain the evil that wants to overtake. This present darkness, we are the light to, that present, to the present darkness. And you know, what would real revival look like? It's not gold dust. It's not feathers flying. Um, some of these other things that you hear about, it's not that. We'll know that there's a real revival in the land when people are on their faces sobbing because they understand that God is holy and we're not. And that God's heart is grieved as he watches the sin that wants to overtake and encompass his people and his land. That's when we'll know what true revival is. My wife and I were so privileged. We pastored for 10 years in Philadelphia. And we were so privileged. I mean, we, we actually we saw so much uh, of what God wanted to do. We had one time a heroin addict who came to the altar and was instantly delivered. And the end of that story is she's married with two kids today. Um, I remember getting called in the middle of the night. There was triplets that were born. And I got called into the middle of the night. They said, it's two girls and a boy. The boy's not going to make it. He's bleeding out of his chest tube, and he'll never make it. And so we went down and anointed with oil. And the, and the minute that we spoke the name of Jesus, the blood flow stopped. And that kid was probably, what, eight or nine today, something like that. No, more than that. He's probably, yeah, yeah, probably in his 20s, yeah. Time goes 
Time goes quick, y'all. <laughs> and yeah, so there's things that we've seen, and we love to see that. But real revival, I believe, is when God sees us grieved, putting our lives on the altar, wanting to have... You know, Paul said in the book of Romans, he said, in, you remember that struggle he had in uh, chapter 6, I believe, where he said, you know, what, what a crazy guy I am. You know, this is what I want to do, but I end up finding that this is what I do do, and the stuff that I don't want to do, well, that's what I end up doing, and can anybody relate to that? Yeah, yeah. And of course, the answer to that is, thanks be to God who gives us the victory, amen? Amen. So it, 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 we know that it's a struggle, you know? And Paul said this, and the reason I went there was to say this. Paul said in that chapter, he said, I know that in my flesh, my Adam nature, dwells no good thing. And I often say, we've we got to believe that just as much as we believe Jesus saves through his blood. Amen? Because I don't know, there's so much theology today that, you know, oh, I hate to say the name of books, you know, your best life now different things like that, and, and what, what's wrong? What's wrong? It's because it's the mixture, I believe, of the profane and holy. Because we got to understand that the Adam nature, all he ever wants to do is sin, right? So in my flesh is no good thing, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He who walks after the Spirit shall reap life. Amen? Is that who we are? People of the light, people of Life, the restrainer, and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I encourage you, and I challenge you. Lay aside the weight and the sin, and look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.